You're listening to Ink Studs on CITR 101.9 FM. My guest this week is uh, Dave Zim, the creator of Cerebus, as well as Glamour Puss and the eventually to be collected The Strange Death of Alex Raymond. Uh, Dave is joined by a couple of uh, special guests with him in his, what do you call it, the Off-White House? The Off-White House. The Off-White House. Um, Ted Adams, the president and CEO, or just president of uh, IDW, as well as Scott Dunbeer, um, who's the special guy... Special Projects Editor. Special Projects, the guy who puts together those cool books that I spend too much money on. <laughs> Good, glad to hear it. <laughs> that Wallywood one. Oh, 
It's a thing of beauty. Um, I guess that's a, that's one of my under the coffee table books. I've got uh, I've got five uh, IDW books here, and I can't put them on the coffee table because I wouldn't have room for anything else. But they're very nice under my coffee table. It is. One I, I've actually decided that at some point I'm going to make a. Um, uh, I'm actually going to make a table out of one of them, so I'll have a real Wallywood coffee table book. <laughs> <laughs> the, the uh, special limited limited edition. Um, so one of one. <laughs> so Robin wanted to know if you've been scanning up a storm while you were up here. No, no storms. Just uh, lots of service covers. Lots of service covers. That was a bad joke. Sorry. He's been a busy guy. He's a, he's up around 500 scans at this point. And uh, I didn't think he was going to get through the first stack of uh, of material that uh, brought over from the the offsite storage. And uh, man, he's just he's been a machine. He's he's going back with a full computer. You know, you get inspired by the material. You know, honestly, um, one of the great joys of, of my job is I get to look at all this great artwork. So for me to be able to sit down and go through literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pages of artwork, you know, from, from covers to preliminaries to sketchbook stuff to cover mock-ups, you know, it's just, it's tremendous. Scott, can I just get you to speak up a little louder for me? Sorry. Uh, sure. Okay. Um, why don't you tell me a little bit about the, the background of starting up this project, um, where kind of this came from as an idea back and forth. Well, you know, honestly, um, it, it, uh, the credit really has to go to Ted Adams, who is, um, you know, the, the uh, big guy at IDW. He has been a uh, lifelong service fan. And, uh, you know, I think, I think working with Dave has always been a, a dream of his. I mean, you know, I'm a big fan of Dave's, but, you know, Ted, I, would, I think it's safe to say, is a huge fan of Dave's. And actually, I should pass you over to him because he's the one really to answer that. All right. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm just how curious. Did, how did this project get started, Ted? Well, I guess it started, you know, uh, some time ago. I think I started sending you IDW books all the way back to we started doing uh, reprints of classic comic strips even before we started working with Dean Mullaney in his Library of American Comics. We were doing reprints of strips like Dick Tracy. And to be honest, in those days, I was just trying to find anybody I could to give me a pull quote for those books. And I think I probably sent you those and was pestering you. I mean, that's probably going on like six, seven years ago, trying to, trying to get you to say something nice about our books that I could put on one of them. And, uh, and then over the years, you and I exchanged faxes and, and books and things here and there. And, and you know, as Scott said, it's certainly been a dream of mine not a dream that I really honestly ever thought would come true, but a dream to, to be able to work with you. Well, the, uh, they definitely had me at Dick Tracy. <laughs> it's, uh, when I got those volumes in, I, I had the uh, celebrated cases of Dick Tracy book uh, back when I was 16 or so, but I'd never, never gone back all the way to the beginning of the strip, and it's, uh, it's a guilty pleasure. It's a very sadistic strip. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> like you're, yeah. you're just sitting there waiting, going, "What are you going to do to your characters now?" And it's like, "Ooh, that's so creepy, right. man!" You know, yeah. I, I can't get that image out of my head now. 
Well, and it's funny because everybody talks about, and, and it's certainly true that you know our violent entertainment culture we have today, and but things weren't all that different in the '30s based off of the off the Tracy strip. I mean, certainly you know, movies were different back then, but uh, but the, your daily newspaper you could get all the violence you wanted right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a lot of lot of lot of blood and mayhem, yeah. and uh, definitely. Uh, it was a watershed moment when I got in. Um, Ted sent me uh, sort of like the latest batch, catching me up on uh, uh, Secret Agent X9, and he sent me the um, the Chuck Jones book, Chuck Jones the Animator, and the comic strip that he did that never uh, uh, didn't last for much longer than like three or four months. But beautifully crafted book and the whole history of the strip and. Uh, uh, the Little King uh, comic strip collection, and they were in this huge box. Um, I get a lot of exercise anytime I get IDW books uh, <laughs> at the post office. It's like, oh, geez, I, I, I didn't have to do my weightlifting today. The IDW box came in, and uh, pulling all of those books out, and then there was an EC logo in the bottom of the box, and I'm going. Huh, that's weird. I don't know why they would have a, an EC logo in the bottom of the box, but stranger things have happened. wasn't until the next day when I went to, you know, recycle the box, break it down. I lifted it up and I went, wait a minute, there's something else in here, and pulled out that huge Wally Wood book, and was just dumbfounded by it. I mean, it is abs- absolutely the most arresting piece of work. Uh, Sandy, who works with me very closely on uh, the scanning and stuff like that, trying to have a conversation while looking at it. (laughs) And uh, he would just sort of trail off. He would start to say something and then turn the page and then just trail off. You can't can't have a conversation and look at at Wally Wood's stories. That book in particular is uh, kind of it's one of those ones that's kind of changed a lot of perceptions I've noticed for cartoonists. I had uh, I think so. I think yeah. very, very definitely. And I, uh, that I had, was really at the point that that I phoned Ted and said, uh, you know, I'm never going to do a covers book myself. What would you think about doing uh, the Cerebus covers? Not not as big as the Wally Wood book, but uh, you know, the the 12 by 18 format and. Uh, we started talking about it, and uh, I got to say, as someone who has been very, very suspicious of publishers, and I think a lot of times justifiably suspicious of publishers over the years, Ted was just so flexible, uh, saying, "Well, you're a publisher. If you want me to just put you in touch with uh, with my printer, uh, you know, you can do them yourselves, or do them yourself," and. Uh, you know, I'm asking all of these, you're not supposed to ask these questions like, well, what's your per per unit cost? Well, he just tells me what his per unit cost is. <laughs> it's like, all right, well, if uh, if you're trying to pull a fast one on me, I don't know where you're pulling it, so uh, you're, you're, you're definitely sucking me in here. So this is at least six months that you guys have been um, talking about it, then I'm figuring. Oh, yeah, yeah. Not, not constantly, but staying in touch and... Uh, um, sort of bouncing ideas back and forth. It's one of those uh, everything's everything's on the table, but uh, uh, my inclination at this point is definitely going one step at a time. With uh, when I finally capitulated to uh, 
Sandy and uh, John Scrutter and uh, Dave Fisher, you know, you got to try Kickstarter. You got to try Kickstarter. You got to try Kickstarter. It's like I'm 56 years old. Kickstarter doesn't sound like something for a 56-year-old man. But okay, we'll go ahead and do it. We'll go ahead and do it. And that worked. That definitely got me the financing to be able to uh, devote full-time to uh, doing high society digital and high society audio digital. And um, then it was a matter of, okay, now I'm, now I'm going to promote it. Uh, but that was a that was a three month process right there, and it really wasn't until I handed off all of my work, the the voiceover of all the characters, uh, annotations for the notebooks, annotations for the Cerebus archive material. Uh, as soon as I handed that off to George Gatzis, who's the the technical director on the project, then it was okay. Now let's let's talk to Ted about. Uh, the covers book, which is now becoming the covers books, right. plural. <laughs> I was wondering about that because I mean, I, I was noticing some of the photos you're posting. I mean, they're both you're doing both side scans or like full cover, back and front cover. So I consider it's got to be quite a lot of material. Um, will this also look at say uh, some of the other, I guess, ancillary material like say the young Cerebus stories that were an epic. Well, that's, as I say, nothing's off the table, but as soon as Scott said to me, I think it was uh, the middle of Saturday, um, well, you know, why not do all the color stuff? And it's like, oh, man, you don't know, you don't know how much stuff that you're talking about here. You know, we're already just on the covers, sort of, I'd say state of play right now is uh, three volumes, maybe four volumes. And now you want to do all of the color work. Um, you know, I'm not necessarily going to say no, but uh, I do try and and keep it limited. Uh, well, I mean, it's got. It, there's also got to be a balance, right? Of like, each volume's got to keep people enticed and interested. Because I could imagine if it's a three-volume set, say the 101 to 200 or whatever, it's going to be about 50 pages of space. Or <laughs> There's uh, there's a fair amount of that. Uh, what what's going to end up happening, I think, is uh, Scott's going back with uh, about 500 scans, and then is basically going to be um, what we're hoping is, is going to take place is that we'll all be taking uh, taking a look at it in real time as he gets uh, 10 pages done. I mean. Uh, that was one of the things at the outset, one of the reasons that I wanted uh, Scott and Ted to come up here so that they could see it in person. Uh, there's a lot of different stuff attached to the Cerebus number one cover. There's, you know, I've got the original artwork for the cover. Um, definitely I can, you know, we can do a scan of the Dave Sim file copy. Uh, in 9.4, I've got the Cerebus number one counterfeit. Uh, there's the only Cerebus number one that is cut to the right size, comic book size, uh, that the printer did to show me this is how much of it's going to get cut off if, uh, if we actually trim it to comic book size. There's the Cerebus 301 uh, Christmas card. I've got that. 
<laughs> have you got that? Yeah, yeah. Got a comic store, had it with the trades. So I'm like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't charge you for it, did nope. they? Nope. <laughs> okay, that's good. That's good. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, so that's a service number one cover. And then uh, uh, I did a Lethargic Lad cover, which was a parody of the number one cover. And then there's Cerebus Archive number one, which is the zombie Cerebus number one cover. Mm -hmm. um, there's uh, letters and articles, like a letter from Alan Light of the... Uh, uh, Comics buyer, or yeah, it was called the Comics Buyer's Guide at that time, because a guy was advertising for the Counterfeit Cerebus Number Ones, and he got a complaint. Uh, Alan Light got a complaint from Gary Colabuano from uh, the old Moondogs chain, saying you shouldn't be running an ad for these Counterfeit Number Ones. So Alan Light's writing to me, going, "Is it okay for me to run an ad for these guys?" And it's like I'm going, "I don't know, you know this." <laughs> This has never happened before. Have you run ads for uh, the Erie Number One uh, Ashcan? Uh, so, the upshot of that is probably the first ten pages of Volume One or the first eleven pages uh, is just going to be Cerebus Number One and variations. Um, and then the same thing happens with the Number Three Hundred cover. I had forgotten. Man, there's got to be at least 60 different versions of the number 300 cover with varying intensities of light, uh, the lettering in, in different places. And uh, we're, all, we're all discovering the material again for the first time, just mm -hmm. uh, with an eye on what kind of, what kind of books are these going to make. Now, Ted, do we still have you there? Yep, I'm here. Okay. Does this kind of, with this uh, coupling with today's announcement of the, now I'm still trying to figure out exactly what this is, the Cerebus, the High Society Audio Digital, is this kind of telling of a long-term relationship of future projects? Well, um, that'd certainly be my hope. Yeah, I mean, we one of the things that I like about IDW is, is that I think in almost every single case, once we start to work with somebody, that they stick with us. So whether that's a creator or a licensor, if you look at our track record over the last 10 years of publishing comics and graphic novels that I really can't think of any case where somebody didn't uh, didn't start working with us and want to continue to work with us. Um, to kind of quote... Actually, I've had enough of these guys after this weekend. <laughs> this will do, do it for me. But, How uh, is it thanks, a... Thanks for the two nice dinners. I do want to <laughs> say thanks for the two nice dinners. Is it intruding into your, uh, into your prayer cycle? Uh, no, no, I was just uh, doing the prayers at, uh, at the same time. I actually decided to cut myself some slack, and I didn't do the, uh, the evening prayer and night prayer today, but uh, I just tell Scott, you know, I got, uh, got a prayer time. I'll be back out in like uh, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, and they're very, uh, very amenable to that. Now, I have... To, to quote something that's been going on, there's the elephant in the room, which is, while you guys have been d setting up this, um, and I'm not saying there's anything nefarious in this, is the Comics Journal negotiations with Fanographics. Um, and I guess, like, the, the question that a lot of people want to ask, like, um, what's the deal in a way? Like, is this basically super sly marketing for the upcoming project? Was there possible intentions of working with Fanographics? I feel like it's pretty much derailed now. Um, 
Um, it's possibly derailed. It's possibly just resting. That was uh, one of my, as I said, once I handed off uh, all of my work on uh, high society digital and high society audio digital, um, then it was a matter of, okay, I'm going to talk to Ted about uh, about the covers. Let's get this firmed up. And that was at the same time that Kim started uh, saying, you know, we'd be willing to um, uh, publish Cerebus or, 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 you know, breathe new life into the trade paperbacks. And basically, I just uh, adopted the same approach. I mean, that was... Uh, that was very different because that was a you know public declaration sort of thing. But mm-hmm. um, being in the, the situation that I am uh, mentally now is uh, you know I'm only moving one square at a time. I'm moving like a pawn, not like a queen or a bishop. And uh, basically, I as soon as I read the offer from Kim uh, Tim Weber at uh, Moment of Cerebus was basically faxing me executive summaries every day of you know what's going on with questions being asked on the virtual tour and that was one that uh, that he included and I just went through my mental Rolodex and went okay of the 16 Cerebus trade paperbacks what do I envision as a as a good fit with Fantagraphics but the, the the thing with that though is like uh, early on, they were pretty clear about not wanting to do it the way you'd envisioned. And it's not to say that the, your particular envisioning is is empirically wrong or right. Um, but there seems to be like an impasse pretty quickly around that around doing um, going home and form and void. Yeah, I'm not sure about that because, uh, you know, I saw it as flexibility on my part to go from talking about one book to talking about two books that were then becoming four books. You know, Mm -hmm. we're going to take these two books and break them down into four. And it's like, well, okay, but, uh, you know, I have my own questions like, uh, you know, how does Kim Thompson finish the sentence over the ensuing 24 years Kim Thompson watched as Dave Sim dot 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 mm-hmm. um, you know what is what is the bottom line on that one and I wasn't getting answers on that so I more attributed to that that people were telling me that uh, you know this thread was getting to be hundreds of entries long so 700 thought, what's that? 700 700 okay um, I, I gather that that's unusual for uh, for threads on the internet. Yeah, usually uh, it's uh, only things like 4chan, um, which is like not very uh, engaged uh, intellectually, shall we say? Uh, right, right. So yeah, and, yeah it was. Uh, mind, maybe I could maybe I could chime in a little bit too, which is yeah. you know, part of the conversation that we had today, which is that I, I think you know just looking at the internet when we were at dinner and and uh, you know, looking on my iPad at a couple of things, it, it does seem like there's some confusion. That's probably just worth clarifying yet again, which is that IDW is not printing high society, so we're not you know we're not reprinting Dave's books. He's still doing okay. That stuff. And so you know just if there is still confusion about that, that to be clear. Uh, I saw on Twitter as I was walking over to Dave's house that people were confused about that, and so you know we IDW is not printing High Society. Dave's still doing High Society, 
and we we Dave these are, this is Dave's book. It's his property. It's his character. It's it, you know he, he can do whatever he wants with it. If he wants to keep publishing it himself, he can keep doing that. If he wants to do you know nice editions with Fan Graphics, that's great. They're an amazing publisher. If he wants to do them with us, that's amazing. Maybe what he'll want to do is do one volume with them, one volume with us, and one volume with John and Quarterly. Who knows? But that's. That's his choice. <laughs> yeah, his yeah. I just like he wants to do with it, and you know, hurt feelings and 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 all those things aside. And you know, and I, you know, I'm, I'm friendly with Eric Reynolds over at Fanographics. I, you mm. know, I don't know Kim and Gary at all, but you know, it's Dave's book. He can do what he wants with it. Oh yeah, and and like for me, I'm just curious to kind of see this bigger picture. Like, I'm not saying, hey, go take this Fanographics or go take this IDW or go right. take this top shelf. It's more um, kind of getting my head around it. I think is uh, right. I think the the point I left off in my explanation on uh, you said it capped out at uh, at seven hundred. Um, I was trying to say I don't think there's any point in. Uh, I did you know make reference to uh, more heat than light, mm -hmm. and I think that's certainly what we saw on the thread. There was uh, you know a lot more. Intemperate, intemperate remarks and uh, and heated rhetoric, and my attitude was okay. I'm going to talk about um, things that are maybe peripheral uh, to the actual negotiation because I don't think you know we're we're not going to maintain this. It's not going to be a uh, hundred of these going up every day, you know, from now until the end of time. Entropy will take over, and you know people will settle down and then we can you know start saying okay where did we leave off talking about what we were talking about I gotta say there's no one quite like your name which seems to incite people to blow up in quite the way <laughs> and, it, and it's not even necessarily blowing up angry blowing up like you know I, I really feel strongly about Dave's work it's, it's just this intensity it's just like this like across the board like very strong points of view um, and I've never really seen it with any other creator except when we start talking about um, some of the folks that were done wrong from the Golden Age and Silver Age um, right yeah I I don't know what that is it's uh, I'm not sure if it's healthy or unhealthy um, I did say that Although I'm not a venter myself, I don't by na nature start rat 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 at at anything. I mean, I just uh, it seems like a waste of energy to me. I do appreciate that there are people who you know have things that they have to get out of their system, and that seemed to me what was going on. Like mm -hmm. I can't imagine uh, people are still going to be venting. A week from now, but uh, you know, it might I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, all right. Uh, thank um, you very much for joining us tonight, folks. That, uh, it, I mean, it's it's fast. I don't know. It's fascinating, and I, and I don't mean to kind of derail this, but I mean it is something that's kind of hey, it's your show, Rob. On. Robin, you want to you want to derail it? You take us where you want to go. It's but I mean it's it, like even setting up this interview. Um, I had so many people telling me, well, how, how I should approach it, and I'm like, well, I just want to kind of just talk. <laughs> and it's I don't know. It's fascinating, and interesting comics. I love you. Sometimes yeah, it was funny heart. the uh, the last signing in uh, in uh, Halifax at Callum Johnson's Strange Adventures. 
Mm-hmm. And um, a fine store. Yes, yes, a a classic. And uh, Mike and Blair Kitchen decided that they were going to make this a family outing from Burlington, Ontario, uh, driving all the way to Halifax for the last signing, which is a little funny if you think about it. You know, for Americans, hour... that's a hell of a drive. <laughs> yeah, and they live an hour down the highway from me. And uh, it was like Mike said, you know, a bunch of people that he said that to went, uh, you're going to introduce your wife and kids to Dave Sim? And it's like, what do you think I'm going to do? Eat the smallest kids and start battering uh, uh, Erica and Rochelle about the head and shoulders? It's like, uh, no, I've got, you know, I've got strongly held opinions. Other people have strongly held opinions. But uh, uh, now I uh, go down to Mike Mike and Erica's place. Uh, We have a visit in July and a visit around Christmas every year. And I get a massive dose of the family life that I'm never going to have. Mm-hmm. Um, Boy, that brought us. <laughs> didn't that talk about? Hey, I derailed Robin. All right. Yeah, that was. Uh, um, it's up. It's good. It's up. It's good. You know, it's funny talking to talking to to Ted, um, and the the petition. And I don't want to go too much into this, but like. I kind of feel like we're able to have this discussion without having to go into these things, without having to say I feel a certain way or not. Because, I mean, we can talk comics. There's so much more we can get into. Um, so, I don't know where I'm going with that, but I'm just putting, <laughs> putting it out there. I really I really derailed you. <laughs> well, you know, I was looking at the petition um, because, like, I, I personally haven't signed it. I don't sign petitions as a general thing. It's just not something I do. Um, and I noticed Scott's not on there. I don't think Ted, are you on there? I am, yeah. You are. Um, but it's like we can have these conversations without having to place a declaration of our personal affinities in one way or another. I guess I'm trying well, to say. Well, it's uh, you know I'm making an exception in this in this case. This was this got set up through. Um, like I say, Tim Weber at Moment of Cerebus, and it was really the virtual tour was uh, hoping to promote um, High Society Audio Digital and High Society Digital, uh, but also trying to drive traffic to uh, Tim Weber's site because I think he does a really good job. Uh, He was a major donor to the Kickstarter campaign, so I said, well, okay, you know, you're not... He wanted to trade his 45-minute phone call with Dave Sim to uh, uh, can he do an interview on on the website? And it's like, well, I think you're entitled to more than that because you're you're doing this daily blog that's you know beautifully crafted and very concise, which uh, which I have to admit I'm not most of the time. <laughs> and uh, you know, let's. Let's basically have it be at your site where you're just feeding me questions, and you know some of them will be from Miller World, some of them will be from the Beat, uh, you know whoever wants to participate, and we'll just go back and forth. For my uh, own site, Canadian Comics Archive, just to put a plug in. Exactly, there. <laughs> exactly. I I did I did answer a few over there, and there was yep. uh, fair amount. There was a couple of head scratchers on that list. I'll tell you how am I going to answer this. <laughs> um, but uh, definitely, 
it was um, it was an exception because you know I I do think very strongly and I do have the very strongly held opinion that uh, um, feminism and misogyny are it's a false dichotomy to me it's a heads I win tails you lose thing that if you're not a feminist you're a misogynist um, you know feminism is a particular political viewpoint actually a spectrum of political viewpoints and I don't think uh, as a society you're well served saying um, unless unless you're a feminist you're a misogynist it leads to things as an example um, ten years ago when I wrote Tangent uh, the balance of uh, enrollments at university was uh, you know 50 50 55 45 uh, in favor of men and that was unacceptable to the feminists so they wanted uh, numerical parity and now we're at the point where it's 70 women and 30 men and nobody is saying well if that's unfair the other way then it's unfair this way and that to but me Dave, is there's what no, there's. I I just went to university. There's no qualification of who gets in has to be male or female. That's I mean. But the just, statistics do show that it's. Uh, but that's not a that's not a vast conspiracy. If more women are entering university, it could be a whole myriad of things. The fact that a lot of the uh, the work that's available for women without education is by far at a lower pay grade than what's available for men, and men are able to get into trades. Women don't get into trades. Um, and that's, you know, you can make hella good money doing trades as a man. See, I, don't, I don't think that's what's, uh, what the evidence is, is telling us, but, you know, that's where we're going to agree to disagree. disagree. Or, yeah. Yeah. I get going with that. I'm curious, um, in a kind of historical narrative sense, where, when did you kind of have these shifting points of view, or was this kind of always pronounced for you as far as I guess? And where did that work into the Cerebus work itself? Um, it was always there. I mean, um, this gets into unfortunately spoiler warnings, but uh, the ending on Jaka's story where, you know, it turns out that Jaka has aborted her baby, who was uh, a boy, and you definitely realize that the complete center of her husband, Rick, I mean, the whole essence of who Rick is, is that he wanted to have a son. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she did this behind his back. And that was me just sort of saying, okay, you know, what do we make of this? It's, um, I'm, I'm curious about, about Rick because in the intro to, to Jack's story, um, I read a lot of Cerebus over last week, just a heads up now. Um, you talk about Rick as being like, trying to think how you specify him as a character, like generally like the n most likable person as a character. Um, yeah, otherwise Cerebus would have killed him. <laughs> uh, but at the same part, he was a lazy layabout. Um, and so I'm curious, like, I mean, that that's one of the most pronounced things as a character is he just didn't want to work. He didn't want to do anything. Um, and, like, how does that fit into 
into that idea, into the idea of like the roles of this male and female, where you have a specific affinity for him, but he doesn't go to work. They were all pretty unrealistic character, or they were all characters who were very unrealistic about the nature of reality. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jocka, in the same way, um, wanting to continue dancing in taverns when the Cyrenists have taken over. And it's like, you know, that's now a capital offense for the tavern owner. And yet she continues dancing. And yes, you're right. You know, Rick was a completely irresponsible person, probably a, you know, very definitely uh, a bad candidate as a father, as a provider. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but he's someone same, that would be nice to hang out with. But at the same time, that was also very politically correct. Like, Jock is going to go out and be the breadwinner as a dancer, and, you know, Rick won't have to provide a livelihood. She would, uh, she would cause grief about it, but you could sort of see that that was the dynamic already. And um, uh, that was actually... Um, autobiographical in a way because the um, the girl that Jocka was based on actually became a dancer after I had created Jocka and she married a <laughs> a lowlife you know, one of those people that um, you know she was in love with him but everybody that knew her and everybody that knew him knew that he was a lowlife um he ended up uh, running away with her niece, so that's that's pretty that's pretty scuzzy. Did you always have a really strong affinity for kind of history, reading about history? Because I mean, early on in in high society, you're touching on and in service with like Adam Weishaupt, um, using the name of the uh, Illuminatus leader from Bavaria. Um, like, has this always been something as a young man, like reading history books? Oh, that was that was pretty much back in the drug fueled days when you know we were all <laughs> poking up and reading uh, Aleister Crowley or or whatever else that we thought. Okay, here's uh, uh, here's here's enlightenment. Um, uh, one of my favorite stories about uh, the Beatles was when they were hanging around with. Um, who was what was the guru's name? Um, Not Ginsburg. Ginsburg's the one that got no, them into no, LSD. No, no, uh, wasn't that the Maharashi? Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. And it's like you know, th- this is the guy who has achieved a state of enlightenment and uh, supposedly can levitate and all these sorts of things. And uh, they were going up for a helicopter ride, and uh, there was only room for one person with the Maharishi. And John and Paul are practically coming to blows because this might be the place where he imparts the secret, and he, I want him to in, impart it to me. And it's, uh, you know, that's that's a really a really bent way of looking at it. Um, so there there was always that component, the the Weishaupt and the Varian Illuminati and the significance of the number twenty three and the eye in the pyramid and and all that stuff, but also mixed in with uh, a genuine interest in politics, mm-hmm. how politics works, how elections work, uh, how hierarchies work. Um, 
So I take it you read a fair amount of Robert Anton Wilson, too. Yeah, uh, I wouldn't say a lot of it. Uh, you read 100 pages of that, and you feel like you've read 900 pages of, uh, of Anton Wilson. Yeah, the, that was that was one of them at the time. Philip K. Dick, uh, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, uh, all of those sort of touchstones. But I was also reading you know, Theodore H. White's The Making of a President. Uh, Gore Vidal was... I think pro uh, he and Norman Mailer were neck and neck for uh, my favorite essayists uh, because they did seem to have very insightful ideas of the overarching structure. That's what I was always looking for was I want to do stories where it's the essence of politics. It's not this is this specific mm -hmm. election or this specific government this is an exaggeration of how government goes, but uh, hopefully you'll be able to read this. Well, you know, we're uh, we're 30 years past high society. I was doing high society when, uh, you know, it was uh, Ronald Reagan's first administration, and, you know, the fact that high society has still been a consistent bestseller through however many administrations in however many countries... Um, I like to think, at least in the short term, that I accomplished the goal. How old were you when you started doing service? Four. No, I'm just <laughs> kidding. Twenty, twenty-one. Twenty-one. Twenty-one years. When the actual service number one, or the um, kind of germinations and zines and whatnot. Uh, sorry, I missed the question. Uh, it when you with service number one, or when you like were doing, uh, say oh, small oh, press yeah, scenes. Oh, yeah, no, service number one came out in 1977, and I was born in 1956. So, yeah, I would have been 21. Um, was this during the time, say, that first 25 issues, the first three years, four years of doing service? Was this when you're reading the the type of stuff you're talking about, like the Fidel, the Crowley? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I was—I had already started a writing career. I was doing uh, uh, scripting for Warren magazines, and I sold a story to Skyworld. And uh, I definitely knew that I wanted to do comics, and I you know, definitely had different interests from most of the people that I knew in comics. Um, a good example being uh, Service Number 23, The Beguiling, which was uh, my riff on the Clint Eastwood film, The Beguiled, mm -hmm. about a Civil War soldier who's wounded and taken in by, uh, um, you know, a girls' school to be hidden from the enemy. Uh, that was, you know, me looking at Gene Day, who was the world's biggest Clint Eastwood fan, you know, High Plains Drifter and The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, and it's like, no, this is my idea of a Clint Eastwood film, is uh, is The Beguiled, and uh, that was always, that was always something that I was aware of, I was always tacking towards, you know, a, a different current than, uh, than everybody else was. One of the um, long-time uh, Toronto fans where you know I met him at the first Cosmicon in 72 when I was 16 said we were all still you know totally jazzed about Jack Kirby 
and you were the one talking about Will Eisner. Mm -hmm. And I think that that sums it up in a lot of ways. What I, who I was at the time, and where Cerebus came from. It's you were really, from understand, pretty involved in the fanzine community um, in the seventies and the Canadian scene community and I don't know a lot about this point in time and like my own um, interest is very heavily in Canadian comics history right now especially covering like 70s and 80s um, and I'm curious what was the type of stuff you're doing like I know you interviewed uh, Doug Wright in I think 79 uh, 72 oh, 70, was, you were uh, 16 Jesus yeah yeah. No, actually, I think I interviewed him when I was 15. The magazine didn't come out until I was 16. That was Now and Then Times number one. And, yeah, I interviewed Doug Wright for that one, Jim Mooney. Um, Jim Mooney's son had just happened to walk into Now and Then Books and said, wow, I didn't even know there were comic book stores. My dad draws comic books. And it's like, yeah, who's your dad? Jim Mooney. I wasn't there that day. But uh, Harry got uh, Jim Mooney's name and address, and that's how he got the Jim Mooney cover, and I sent him a bunch of questions, and he just uh, recorded them into a tape recorder and sent them back. And um, Yeah, at that time, I was very enamored of the Playboy interview. I mean, that's, that's coming from a whole other generation, but that mm. was something critically important to the people of my generation, was this is just question and answer with whoever it was, whether it was Norman Mailer, Timothy Leary, the Beatles, uh, Martin Luther King, Malcolm X. They were all interviewed in Playboy. And I was one of the ones that went, I want to do this with comics. And uh, somebody else who was like that, I'm pretty sure, was Gary Groth, who said... Yeah, I you know I want to do a magazine about comics, and I want to not make it. Um, so what kind of pens do you use? You know, yeah. it's, uh, I want to really ask them uh, interesting questions and print nice long answers. So most of that work that appeared in Comic Art News and Reviews, which John Balje published here in town, and I did a lot of work on that. And at some point. Um, I want to do a print-on-demand or a digital version of the complete um, Comic Art News and Reviews. It lasted like 34, 35 issues that were anywhere from 8 to 15 pages each. Early artwork by Gene Day, interviewing Harvey Kurtzman, Will Eisner, Mike Galuta, Bernie Wrightson, and yeah, definitely that. Uh, if 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 you're interested in that time period, oh, yeah. you will get more than more than enough of that time period to to fill your plate <laughs> for a few days. When did you or when did you become aware of uh, the work that Arn Sabo was doing for CBC? Uh, the first time I was aware of Arn Sabo was uh, when I was doing the Beavers, the uh, the weekly comic strip that I did. And somebody had told me about uh, that there was this guy in Toronto uh, syndicating comic strips. And uh, I contacted him to say, you know, I've got a Canadian comic strip. Uh, would you be interested in, you know, representing this? It was like, no. <laughs> in a word, uh, no. 
but uh, he was doing Neil the Horse, and uh, he actually syndicated uh, Lynn Johnson before she did For Better or Worse. Oh, wow, I had no uh, idea. Yeah, Great Lakes Syndicate, I think he called it. And uh, I didn't hold it against him because I was such a big fan of Neil the Horse. As soon as, uh, as soon as there was a chance to publish somebody else, that was uh, he was definitely at the top of my list. Um, for folks that don't know, um, Arns did something similar to what I do, only in the '70s with uh, like comic strip folks, um, so like Hal Foster and Milton Kniff. Yeah, he did one of the last, if not the last interview, one of the last interviews with Hal Foster. Yeah, um, I would love to hear those one day. <laughs> um, maybe to shift onto high society, what does this mean, audio digital? That was, uh, I was trying to figure out, because so much money was coming in on Kickstarter, um, what can I do to uh, merit this outpouring of generosity, uh, which is when I started incorporating things like doing the um, uh, the annotations on the notebooks and using all of the Cerebus archive documents. Here's uh, everything that's you know in this time period that this issue was being done, and that was when I thought, well, what about doing an audio book? You know. Uh, there is a big market for audiobooks, and and Ted and I were talking about this. That there's uh, there's an urge, I think, on people's part to be read to, that had disappeared out of our society. But now that everything is uh, uh, is digital and internet and pretty well silent, I think uh, there's more of an urge towards that. Uh, and of course, as I looked at it, it's like, well, I'm going to do the voices. I can't just, you know, read it in a flat intonation. Um, if I'm going to do, if I, if I say, if I'm going to do Elrod the Albino son, I'm going to have to do the Seneca Clankhorn voice, Foghorn Leghorn, that is. Were you? So, uh, were those voices going through your head when you were drawing the comics? Yeah, um, well, I would, I would read them out loud, but I, I'd read them out loud very quietly and just for the actual pacing of um, where do I want to leave a beat here. Um, that, was, that was an argument I always had with, uh, with Will Eisner, who said, you know, you shouldn't have multiple word balloons. And I said, no, you have to have multiple word balloons because that's your punctuation. This word balloon... And whatever the space is between that word balloon and the next one, that's the pacing of how long a pause there was between the thoughts. And I would definitely work on that. I'd sit there and read the dialogue aloud and then go, no, this word balloon has to be moved down a little bit further because that's, that's a longer space mm-hmm. in between there than, than it appears to be um, as it stands. And then the same thing with the lettering, where does the emphasis go? Um, you know, if it's if it's foghorn leghorn, then the beats are going to land on these specific words. Or uh, you know, Rod, Rodney Dangerfield, like you know, oh, the old neighborhood. The old neighborhood was tough. You know, oh, let me tell you, tough. The old neighborhood. Well, tough. You got to letter that 
puff, you know, much much bigger than the other letters. And uh, I found that it was definitely all there when it was time to read it. Occasionally, I'd have the the emphasis on the on the wrong word, but I didn't know that until I was actually performing it. And then I'd go, okay, why isn't that line working? And it's like, okay, I got the emphasis on the adjective, and it's supposed to be on the adverb. And uh, right now, the only person that's heard all of it, like I've recorded all of High Society, uh, even the women's voices, uh, the only one who's heard it is George Katz's, and he thinks it's the cat's pajamas. So <laughs> I'm hoping a few people agree with him. Well, I, I saw it today too, Dave, and what I what I saw and heard was great. So I can't wait to can't we see the whole first issue? That's right. That was the whole basis of of you making the offer on uh, on uh, which uh, boy that came out of a clear blue sky. But uh, I'll, I'll take that as uh, as a vote of confidence that uh, definitely. One of the qualms that I had about iSociety Digital, which is the silent version on Comixology, iVerse, uh, Comics Plus, and uh, Diamond Digital, um, one of the qualms that I had was I definitely would like the stores to be able to get in on this. So for for Ted to say, you know, if if you'll let us package this and that, you know, we're going to sit down and try and figure out the the nicest package we can come up with and, you know, put this in the stores for a, a very reasonable cost. Um, that was one of the missing pieces. How do how do I get the how do I get the stores included in this? So So what is this package? Like I'm still my head's still not wrapped around it like IDW putting something in the stores. It'll it? it'll be the collected high society audio digital. Like to, starting tonight at, at midnight, it'll be uh, available at uh, cerebusdownloads.com. The first issue, number twenty six, is a free download, and then the second issue is number twenty seven, and that's ninety nine cents, and it'll be ninety nine cents a week after that. Uh, it completes. I think George sent me the revised schedule because uh, he's got a lot of work to do on it. I think it completes February 2013, and at that point, that's when we would solicit and say, here is this disc with the complete High Society audio digital. Um, the way George has got it set up, you're moving in and out of the page uh, in time with the voiceover. So if it's... Um, you know, Dirty Flegel McGrew, and he's saying something in this panel, and there's a close-up, then we we start at the overview of the page and then dive in and look at him and then pull back out and then dive in and look at the next panel. So it's very close to um, my own storytelling methods, which I always said, it's like bouncing a basketball with your eyes. You've got to go to the next natural spot. So, Ted... Um, as as a product, then it's it's a disc. So, for for as I guess for publicity sake, we're not publicity, but as like here's how it's coming out. Um, why the retailer should care. Kind of fill me in there because I mean, Dave's starting tonight midnight. It's gonna be um slowly rolled out um each week new issue. So that's going to be already out there. What is IDW bringing to the table to kind of 
bring in more customers and bring well, in the retailers. Well, what we bring to the table is, is hopefully what we always do, which is uh, you know, uh, try and bring top quality production to everything that we publish when you're looking at print production trying to figure out what's the best way to, to present the material and working closely with Dave to figure out what does that mean exactly for this. You know, clearly it's going to be uh, uh, the files will be available on a DVD of some sort and what, what makes that package interesting at retail. And it basically just gives retailers another opportunity to, to sell Cerebus. It's a different way for them to sell Cerebus and I think potentially a way for them to introduce Cerebus to new readers. So, you know, if somebody's been on the fence about Cerebus and uh, haven't haven't wanted to try it. Maybe this is a chance to get them to do that. And, and I'm confident that if you if you see the the audio d- digital version of this, that you're going to want to read the rest of the series. So mm-hmm. hopefully it's uh, it'll, it'll accomplish all those things. But for us, it's just a way to to work with Dave and to be able to bring you know high society to a, to readers in a new way. I think uh, one of the other things is again nothing's off the table. We were in the uh, the library here. Uh, I was giving Ted the the tour when in, when he came in, and uh, we were looking at uh, Cerebus figures that the people had done over the years, and of course now we've got the technology where you can take. I've got a bust of Cerebus as the Prime Minister with the powdered wig on, and I've got another full figure of Cerebus the Barbarian. Um, beautiful pieces of work that people did and never paid me any royalties on. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, part of me is saying, well, they've got technology now where you can just do a three-dimensional model of it and then produce as many as you want. And they're kind of large, but I went, well, that's just a matter of scaling. If we said, okay, we're going to include this Cerebus bust as part of the package of um, High Society Audio Digital, which would be, you know, Possibly a good fit. Um, where you know, where do we go from there? What what other things could you put into you know a very nice, concise, shrink wrapped package that hopefully would be eye catching in a store? You know, they can just put it out. Uh, you can put it with your graphic novels, or you can put it with your toys. You know, if we put use the hard plastic. It's like, what is this? A toy? No, it's uh, it's high society audio digital. It just happens to have a, a bust of Cerebus in with it. And one of the things too that Dave mentioned that you know that we're definitely going to do is solicit input from retailers and find out from them what do they think is the is the best way to do this, so we can have them as part of the conversation and what what would work best in their stores, what format would work best, what's the right price point. And when you're when you're breaking new ground like this, doing something that hasn't been done in this way before, it's you know we're gonna we're gonna figure out we're gonna sort of figure out our way. It's it's interesting because like with Dave mentioning the bust and you know various ephemera, I almost see like that as a kind of as a easier way to kind of get this out there because people will shell out these unknown dollars for these busts and figures of toys of characters. Um, I definitely well, see that was a, that, that was sorry to interrupt. That was one of the things that. Uh, um, with the Fantagraphics negotiation, I was definitely wanting to have as much input as possible because uh, my experience over 35 years of doing this is you never know where a good idea is going to come from. Mm-hmm. And you usually know it right away. If somebody says, oh, okay, well, if I was going to package uh, a high society, you know, high society audio digital on disc, 
and uh, yeah, I'd put the bust in there. You know what else I'd put in there? I'd put this in, and I go, "That's perfect." You know, you you. Uh, I would never have come up with that on my own. In the Fantagraphics discussion, uh, uh, discussion, James Owen and Ed Brubaker started reminiscing about the swords introductions. Mm -hmm. You know, and that should be a part of uh, of the Cerebus volume, and that's definitely coming up ahead. You know, we've got a lot of work to do on that to uh, to digitize that and try to figure out how big a package it's going to be. But I had completely forgotten the swords introductions, and as soon as I said that, as soon as I saw that in the faxes that Tim Weber was sending me, it's like underline that one in red. That's that's a no-brainer. That's uh, that's part of what you're going to be selling. Oh, it's got the swords introductions. I got to get one. Any chance of getting involvement from folks that had been involved during the process of these books coming out? Like, I know Gerhard wasn't really involved in high society, but like Denny or just uh, Denny's recorded all of her um, notes from the publisher. So I, I think the last word from George on that one was. Uh, um, I also recorded uh, Ardvar Comment in the back because Ardvar Comment, the letters page, was definitely a very popular feature. And I just did it like David Letterman doing viewer mail, but it's, you know, 30 minutes long because they're very, <laughs> very long letters pages. And I think both Denny's uh, notes from the publisher and Ardvar Comment will be separate audio files so that it's not. Breaking up the space between the cover and and the interior of the story, um, yeah, definitely. I'm looking for as much participation uh, with people as possible. One of the nice things about any digital package is it can always be added to. You know, asking people to reminisce about. You know, you had a letter printed in you know service number 24. What was the occasion, or my favorite story about meeting Dave Sim at a convention, or something like that? I think uh, um, certainly I was I was always convinced that a letters page was critically important because I think dialogue between you and your fans is critically important, whoever you are, and uh, that adds to the experience. And you know now that digital is breaking down all of those kinds of walls with Twitter and Facebook and whatnot, it's uh, as I was saying to uh, uh, Ted and Scott at, at dinner tonight. It's like I want you guys to leak like sieves. You know, everybody's so so careful about. Well, you know, I was, we were there in Dave's place and you know, having all these conversations. Better be careful, you know, you don't want it getting back that you were blabbing about this. It's like, blab, blab, you know, he's going to the New York Con this week, uh, weekend. Talk about everything that you can think of. I hope the. Tell them what I had for dinner. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Tell, tell them the funny story about getting, getting lost on the way to the restaurant or, or whatever. I, uh, there's the letters that were. There is some stuff that sticks out to me, especially, I mean, I think it was in the letters pages that was the first time that I'd heard that Chester Brown was, a um, engaging with prostitutes. Um, I'm pretty sure that was in service letter pages 
as well as say your extensive discussions with Alan Moore about From Hell. Um, right. Any chance you're going to try and get those folks or something like that? I mean, that's way down the road, especially. Um, I think what's what's happening is I have to find all the material that's here. Even uh, even while uh, Scott was scanning, I was uh, uh, definitely. Uh, we started talking about uh, the counterfeit number one, and I hadn't even thought about the counterfeit number one. It's like, oh, okay, I've got that in the Cerebus archive. I just have to walk over in the room here, and it's right at the front of door uh, drawer number two. Um, we're just at the beginning of that process. Mm-hmm. Um, same thing, you know, my tour diary from 1982, uh, the first American tour, there's a type typeset version of that and a handwritten version in digital and, you know everything and even, everything can be included yeah. and the amazing um, photos oh I got boxes of photos oh don't uh, don't get me started don't get me started on photos let me tell you oh god photos I got them coming up. anyway okay I think uh, we're going to give you one more question because we are all terribly sleep deprived <laughs> Well, um, make it a good one. Don't oh, uh, don't just uh, you're leaving maybe, me. You're leaving me. Dave, we'll give Dave. you a couple of seconds to mull it over. Um, you know, actually, I want to read a quote from one of your books. Okay. Um, right. it's from Melmoth. As I said, I read a lot of Cerebus. Uh, over last uh, week, I made it up to 200, and I kind of hit a wall where I just couldn't spend all day reading. Um. <laughs> Congratulations on making it that far. You're lucky I've you didn't turn simple like a flaming carrot. Oh, I've read the whole thing. Don't worry. I, I've already okay. read it. I uh, started a long time ago. Um, so uh, the Oscar Wilde character, he's talking about uh, censorship and whatnot. And uh, this really struck out to me. In a society where dissenting viewpoints are supposed uh, those viewpoints are potent and dangerous. Where dissent is tolerated, it rapidly becomes quaint and is viewed as unsophisticated. People merely amuse themselves with the expression of contrary opinion. That's definitely Oscar. That's. Um, I don't think that's that's a healthy way to think it's 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 charming and it's witty and you know it's very nice at teas and cocktail parties but uh, you know I can resist everything except temptation um, or uh, what's the really poisonous one from Oscar Wilde was uh, I'm going to cure the soul with the senses and my senses with my soul and it's like why I think you're you're mixing two things up there that shouldn't be mixed up together, but you know it sounds charming and it sounds debonair and, and elegant. Um, no, that's definitely not not my sentiment, and it wasn't my sentiment at the time. But it was trying to do as accurate an Oscar as I could. Um, right, so let me uh, can I can I say my favorite Oscar Wilde quote because I don't get to say it. Sure, sure. So much more much more relevant to my life. So it's, uh, let me try to get it right here. Uh, I take a drink, the drink takes a drink, and then the drink takes me. Right. That's my favorite Oscar Wilde quote. So I have one other quote, and this is actually you in minds. Um, 
and I forgot to mark the page. My bad, mea culpa. Um, we're basically discussed. You created, you started doing comics to become rich and famous. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that seemed terribly important to me. As um, why would you want to do something else? I was. Uh, I considered myself a grandson of Elvis in the same sense that John Lennon was a son of Elvis. Uh, the great quote about John Lennon going to uh, going to the movies to see an Elvis movie and sitting there and all of these girls are standing up and screaming and jumping up and down and he went, that looks like a good job. And uh, that was what that was I, what I looked at it as. Um, find a a good job along those lines that uh, you have more and more money so you can buy your way out of problems. I, I was still at an age where I thought it was possible to buy your way out of problems, which is usually a conceit of the young. A little hubris. And, what's that? A little hubris. Yeah, a lot actually. It's uh if you start off that way then then you're asking for trouble. And uh in terms of being famous, that was uh I saw that as smoothing all rough edges, you know, if if people see that you're a famous person, then um you know, you have fewer impediments in your way. And it's like no, it's exactly the opposite. You have you have more impediments, but you have different impediments. Mm -hmm. um, who was it? Uh, Biggie Small with uh, more money, more problems. Yep. And it's like, yeah, it took it took me until I was, uh, you know, in my late thirties to go. Yeah, that's that's essentially true, and he nailed it in one phrase. I think that's a good note to end on. Okay. I hey, I appreciate this, Robin. Thank you so much. Uh, just for folks who have been listening, I've been talking to Dave Sim, the man behind Cerebus, Glamourpuss, and the strange death of uh, Alex Raymond, which we all hope to read in complete form. As well, I've been joined by Scott Dunbeer, the special projects editor at IDW, Idea Design Works. And last but not least, Ted Adams. Um, what's your post title, Ted? I'm the publisher and CEO. There we go. Publisher and CEO. Thank you, gentlemen, so much for joining us. It's been a hard day's night, and I've been working like a dog. It's been a hard day's night. I should be sleeping like a log. But when I get home to you, I find the things that you do will make me feel Everything So why I let you down